akin to the issues that you may ask before surgery when you're a philosopher. <laughs> Been there. It's like, oh my god, I'm gonna have anesthesia, and I read personal identity papers. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, but but I mean, setting that kind of thing aside, I mean, that's not the same thing as brain uploading, which really rests, I think, on a metaphysical mistake. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. I'm your host, Parker Sedicase, and this is a podcast where we explore all the deepest ideas in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. Today's episode, I have with me another very special guest. I have with me Dr. Susan Susan Schneider, and uh, she is the director of the Center for the Future Mind at Florida Atlantic University. And I'm struggling with, she's got so many credentials so many cool positions. Uh, I want to say a couple. So uh, she's the former uh, NASA Baruch Bloomberg Chair of Astrobiology. So some of you guys have never even heard of that. That's fantastic. And Technology Innovation at the Library of Congress and NASA. She's awesome. We're going to be talking about her book, Artificial You, AI and the Future of Your Mind. And if you've been paying attention to the podcast lately, you know that I've been thinking a lot about minds and uh, robots, so we're going to get in even deeper here, so I'm really excited for that. Before we jump in, I want to thank everyone who's making this podcast happen over on Patreon. You guys are awesome. If this is your uh, top five or top ten favorite podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon patron. I'd love to do this full time. Uh, this is the plan A, so uh, this is what I want to do with my life. I'd love to do that. So thank you for uh, those who are making this happen and for those considering uh, becoming a Patreon patron. You can also find a super thanks button down here somewhere, uh, and you can give uh, a one-time gift just to support the show. Buy me a coffee, whatever you like. That'd be awesome. And uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or even Spotify, uh, please do leave me a five-star review and a comment that helps get my podcast out to a broader audience. All right. Well, without further ado, let's bring in Dr. Snyder and let's talk about artificial you, conscious minds, robots, computationalism, and much more. Dr. Snyder, thanks so much for making some time for me here. This is awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so before we jump in, um, how, how do we think about you? Are you, do you think of yourself as, uh, are you a philosopher? Are you an astrobiologist first? What, what do you, what are you? I'm a philosopher, (laughs) but I, I get like bored easily, I think, and learning new stuff. So like I'll lock myself away for days, just reading quantum mechanics and, you know, (laughs) like I just am like that. And, and so I tend to be very multidisciplinary. A few years ago, I started working with NASA and um, boy, was that fun. And before that, you know, for years, I've been thinking about AI um, because I worked with Jerry Fodor. He was my supervisor. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I was That's like awesome. Teaching, you know, when he didn't have time to teach, I would like teach his uh, Minds and Machines classes. And okay. Back then he was fighting with the connectionists. So it was yeah. all about the future of machine learning. We just didn't call it that, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, so what did you do your, uh, your dissertation on there? I did it on... Um, the language of thought actually and mental content, just the kind of usual stuff Sure. uh, back then um, and thought with Fodor incessantly. Actually a good chunk of the dissertation was um, on whether computers could outsmart us. Mm. 
And that's awesome. You know, at the time, it was just I was more immersed in arguing with him than anything. And so I argued yeah. against. I was stupid enough to argue against my dissertation supervisor yeah. in my dissertation. That's really obnoxious. But you passed, so so it sounds like you did well. He had a tantrum at my thesis uh, defense. He he um, he shouted F- the brain. Oh, <laughs> wow, that is a win. I thought I was going to give him a heart attack because he had just had a heart attack, sadly. Oh, wow. I was like, trying really hard to be, you know, non-confrontational, but he still just, boom, like, wow. Whoa. <laughs> that's wild. Oh my goodness. Wow, that's fantastic. That's the first that I've ever heard anything like that. That's 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 huge. Um so so how'd you end up getting into, you know, just thinking about AI and uh and consciousness in the first place? Well, I think the AI stuff actually came when I was a grad student with Fodor, but okay. I mean even before that I was a transhumanist. So I mean okay. before I even became a philosopher, I was you know, really immersed in transhumanism and futuristic ideas about um, life extension, uh, brain uploading, all the things that now I'm, you know, pretty skeptical, sadly, about. Uh, Um, But, you know, I've always been science fiction oriented, too. So I think it was in college when um, a roommate had full, you know, room full of science fiction. And I just started reading it. (laughs) and it changed my life you know to this day i sort of see the world through the lens of the future yeah yeah that's huge wow so uh one for me would be like philip k dick like he he's really shaped the way i I see things the uh, science fiction and i have uh i don't know if i can show you here but i have it's a tattoo a tattoo from his uh do androids dream of electric sheep from one of the covers because it like opened my my mind Two award. <laughs> that's awesome. If if I was ever gonna get one, I'd get that. Yeah, so that's awesome. That's so awesome. Yeah, and now I have a robots lab. I yeah, that's right. My lab, which truly that my co-directors, they they know what they're doing. Yeah. But I'm happy to play around. But I mean, we have all kinds of interesting robots right now. Oh, it's so cool. Oh, it's so much fun. I don't have as much time as I want to tinker with the bots. I I, I look forward to that. Doing more of that. Yeah. But the um, PhD students really know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's so huge. So, um, man, that's so. I want to jump on that too. Um, but really I want to. I want to get on the the consciousness, and then we could we could circle back. Um, a lot of my listeners, uh, I've had a lot of philosophers of mind on, and a lot of my listeners will know the hard problem of consciousness. Um, but can you help us with like the the problem of AI consciousness? Sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, you know, consciousness is the felt quality of experience. And so I'm not going to fight like about how to define it because we'll never agree. Philosophers will never agree. But I do think that the felt quality, the introspective, you know, point there is a point of departure. And I think it should also be a point of departure for uh, understanding what we're talking about. We're talking about machine consciousness. We're asking whether there's a felt quality of experience for the machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, philosophers will call that phenomenal consciousness. Okay. Now there's other things going on in the debate over machine consciousness. So for example, a lot of AI researchers are interested in um, a more, what we might call functional consciousness, whether mm-hmm. machines can simulate, but maybe not have that felt quality 
mental capacities that are in the human case associated with the neural basis of consciousness. Okay. Now there is a problem called the problem of AI consciousness, which, you know, I bring up in my book, I called it that. And, you know, I was thinking about David Chalmers hard problem when I did it. So the hard problem as you know, many in the audience know is why we need to be conscious. I mean, why isn't it just all information processing in the brain Mm -hmm. without a felt quality of experience? It's a great problem. Now, in contrast to that, the problem of AI consciousness is the problem of whether an AI has that felt quality of experience, phenomenal consciousness. And note that I'm not asking why, as we are in the context of the hard problem, where, you know, we all assume we're conscious. (laughs) And, you know, we are saying, hey, how, why are we conscious? In this case, in the case of AI, we're asking whether they're conscious at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you, you've come up, uh, you and I, I forgot, um, you'll have to tell me, uh, who your, your coworker is there, but you've come up with like, you want to test machines. You, you want to come up with these, uh, act tests, these, uh, uh, AI consciousness tests, uh, to tell us, you know, whether we're, whether they are conscious or whether we're rational and believing them. Maybe you can help me with that too. What, what, cool. what does the act, what is the act test, I guess? Oh, and, sure. uh, and, and is it is it meant to give us justification for believing that they're conscious or is should it does it give us like knowledge that they are conscious? Oh, well, OK, so I'm glad you mentioned, first of all, my collaborator. Yeah, because the reporters who are talking about this, like I was on the BBC this morning, they oh, wow. just never I tell them the test, the act test was developed with Edwin Turner, my dear colleague, when I was at the Institute for Advanced Study at Princeton. And see, he's an astrophysicist. He's a professor of astrophysics. Student of Marvin Minsky over at MIT. But anyway, so Ed and I um, were just kind of shooting the breeze. And, you know, the idea was, why not probe an AI for consciousness to see if it understands philosophical puzzles or religious puzzles so in the context of theology i mean you know and even just ordinary people who aren't studying theology but they're asking what it all means it's very common to ask whether there's life beyond death whether the mind is separable from the body i mean there are even movies like freaky friday in which people change minds but oh change bodies right mind shift yeah so In our culture and in other cultures, there's kind of, I won't say universal, because that's pretty dangerous. There might be an anthropologist listening, but there's a tendency for humans to actually even roughly, at least very roughly understand that there's something like the possibility of a mind that is separable from a body. And so we were interested in the possibility of whether an AI would get the issue. And of course, we're talking only about a narrow group of AIs. We're talking about highly intelligent language processing AI systems, the kind now (laughs) Hmm. that are being developed by Google uh, and other AI companies like the Lambda system and GPT-3, these generative models. Um, So anyway, we were asking whether 
you could have a question and answer test. And so we devised one that we put out at first in Scientific American and then as a patent application at Princeton University, yeah. <laughs> that. Wow. and um, then I, I decided I'm going to keep writing this up. And so I put it in my book and I, I added a bunch of questions. And so that's where things are. But the reporters, because this is in the news right now, whether Lambda is conscious. Right, right. Saying you can run this test on Lambda. And as I said, always, like I said this in the book, in the Scientific American paper, you can only do it at the R&D stage with these machine learning systems before you train them on data sets involving uh, mind. Otherwise, they're going to get baked in answers, right? Right, 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 you right. You can't trust those answers. So you can't run the test in those contexts. You have to use other tests. But I have discussed other tests as well, which I'm happy to tell you about. Yeah, so I, I knew uh, my, my brain just would not uh, remember Turner's name because uh, – in the same conversation you hear of the Turing test. I'm like, Turner, Turing, and it just wouldn't, wouldn't stand. Um, a lot of people will point to the Turing test, especially in like popular, uh, popular thinkers. Uh, we'll talk about the Turing test. It shows up in science fiction a lot. Um, how would your uh, ACT, te ACT test, how, is, how does that differ than Alan Turing's Turing test? So Turing's test is designed to probe for intelligence. Mm -hmm. And the criteria there is whether you would fool a human, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so the issue here isn't intelligence, it's consciousness. Now, in the case of the ACT test, we're running it on fairly intelligent linguistic systems. So that kind of makes it a little bit easy to conflate. Yeah. But I do think that um, in principle, a machine could pass the Turing test, but not pass my test. Yeah. Or yeah. even vice versa. So you can imagine a machine that really sort of sounds like a, one of these iRobot short stories, right? By mm -hmm. Asimov, where, yeah. you know, the robot dreams, for example, and it understands the felt quality of experience, but for some reason doesn't convince people oh, that yeah. it's human. I mean, maybe it doesn't behave human-like, or maybe Gary Marcus is the judge and he catches it messing up on its causal reasoning, but nevertheless, mm. Conscious, you just you don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's really fascinating. What a terrible predicament if it if it is conscious and can't convince us that it is, and it's like, no, I should have rights, and we're like, no, nah, I don't think you're not passing the Turing test, even if you pass the ACT, the ACT test. That that's really fascinating. In mm -hmm. in uh, do androids dream of electric sheep? Uh, Philip K. Dick poses like this. I think it's Voight comp test, and it's an empathy test where he gives yeah. the uh, the androids. Um, I wonder. I wonder how different the, is it, do you call it ACT or do you say ACT test? Uh, we don't care. Okay. So I'll, yeah. I'll call it ACT. That's a little bit easier. Uh, the, um, but that test is, is a lot like it. In fact, when yeah. I was writing the test, I was thinking of that. I show that to my students, that clip. Oh, yes. Oh, I love it. It's a beautiful clip. Um, but notice there though, you know, she was, Rachel was an Android mm -hmm. and, Deckard was running that kind of test on embodied systems that had certain things like um, retinal impact. Yeah, that was a big one in the movie, especially and, seeing. Yeah. Like they were looking at the iris and, and, you know, I don't remember the details. But in any case, there aren't any kind of embodied, uh, you know, body specific 
uh, tests here that we're running. It's more mm -hmm. just verbal Q and Q and A, sort mm -hmm. of like the Turing test, where you know you could even do it, um, you know, with text. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, mm -hmm. Are you are you um, are you guys running any of that at the the Center for the Future Mind? Are you, are you guys like implementing uh, the ACT test while people are working on the robots and such? No, because of the machine learning issue with these data sets. Yeah. Right. Now, I don't know. <laughs> maybe the Defense Department does it at the R and D stage. Yeah. I mean, you know, people have reached out. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. I can't go into detail, but okay. I mean, wow. there are always more sophisticated systems out there than what the public has access to, as well. Right. I mean, so I, I hope they're reading the literature. Um, there's other ways to determine whether machines are conscious. If you want me to talk about those, please. Two. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, because what I said in my book, um, in this book, Artificial You, because the first four chapters of the book was they were on the topic of machine consciousness. Mm -hmm. I said, look, we don't just need one test. We need a toolkit, you yeah. know, a kit of multiple types of tests that we can actually run when conditions are appropriate and use that as the sort of rough building blocks to devise better tests. Yeah. I mean, for example, what if your test results conflict in yeah. the same system? I mean, the dialogue here is just beginning. Mm. I think, um, although if you talk to certain AI experts, they think it's over, the dialogue's over and that of course, machine learning systems aren't conscious. That's what I'm hearing a lot of in the news about Lambda, of course. Yeah. But um, what I think you can do is you can examine um, neural prosthetics. So I think that's the most promising angle, actually. Um, okay, so, you know, there are um, several ongoing projects right now to put brain chips in people's heads yeah. to um, improve and enhance mental function, as in the case of Elon Musk's Neuralink, but yeah. also, importantly, as neural prosthetics to, um, for example, provide an artificial hip campus. So Ted Berger uh -huh. over at USC is, I think he's in phase two clinical trials. I mean, he's Whoa. implanted into, well, the, you know, the chips, you, you're only able to use them in the lab. It's a long story. They're currently uh, independent. They're not inside the head. Okay. Although you have to have neurosurgery to connect to the chip in the oh, lab. Oh, so the connector's in there, but the chip doesn't actually go in yet. Yeah, for, okay. for Ted Berger. For gotcha. Ted Berger. Whereas Musk at Neuralink has it, um, it's getting very close, I think, to human clinical trials. He's He has it in uh, great apes right now, like implanted oh, wow. wireless connection. It's a pretty amazing. Um, yeah. What, what Berger's doing is he's simulating the ability of the hippocampus to lay down new information. Um, the hippocampus is relatively well understood okay. relative to what we know of the rest of the brain, which isn't, isn't a lot, but yeah. Uh, you know, and so these algorithms can actually compute in ways that allow one to lay down new memory. Okay. So what does this have to do with machine consciousness? Hmm. Well, you know, being married to an FDA regulatory attorney doing searches on what's, being developed right now, you wouldn't be surprised to hear that there are a lot of people developing chips for other parts of the brain, including parts of the brain that are implicated in debates 
about the neural basis of consciousness as potentially being part of the neural basis of consciousness. And so what I project is that if the chip in the brain efforts continue, and they may, they may very well, uh, either for enhancement or therapeutic purposes, that we will eventually learn whether chips are the right stuff for consciousness. And if millions of dollars are just pouring in and, you know, you've had dozens of years of research and you still can't get a chip that replaces parts of the brain underlying conscious experience. It's not unreasonable to suspect that machines built with those chips aren't conscious. Yeah. Right. I mean, you have to be careful, you know, you have to, you can't make claims about other kinds of chips. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. But I think that is a sensible path. Um, It's going to happen. I suspect we'll, we'll have some kind of sense. And the real question there is whether the same chips will be in the computers that we need to test that are in brains. Right. Yeah. And that'll be some evidence for either for like multiple realizability of, you know, mental states and chips or in organism or, or not, at least for those chips that maybe, you know, it'd be evidence that those chips can't support consciousness. Yes. Yes, exactly. And, you know, the interesting thing there, and I can say this because, you know, your audience philosophers is we may have instances of multiple realizability uh, already with the artificial hippocampus. Depends on how you frame the issue. Oh, okay. What level of grain. But you could have that, but still have an epic failure when it comes to conscious states. So what I really need for machine consciousness isn't just multiple realizability of a belief state, but multiple realizability of phenomenal states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that would also probably factor into whether like all of our conscious, all of our mental states are conscious or not, you know, and like, because if you can have a belief yeah, state, absolutely. right, so then that that kind of that might even settle that debate too. whether and the phenomenologists start ripping out their hair uh, right now. Um, that that's really fascinating. I, I wonder about, um, oh, so you call that the chip test. So we have the chip test, uh, right? Is that is that what you demarcate as the yes. chip yeah and that's 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 my idea um and i wrote that up in my book yeah uh and you know footnote here Mm -hmm. it will help tremendously to understand whether extended consciousness is possible yeah you could test extended consciousness and it's funny because i i say this in some recent papers and in a book i'm writing right now people always say extended consciousness is really hard and the extended mind hypothesis doesn't depend on it, but I think it's a testable claim. And I don't think it's as impossible as people think, because if you have these neural prosthetics and they can actually realize consciousness, Mm -hmm. you could just as easily have them outside of the brain as in the case of Berger's lab. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The chip's not even in the brain. through testing the subjects, whether there's extended consciousness. Now, Mm. I got to say, I mean, I do have a controversial view here, which is that consciousness is causal, that you could detect, you know, so, I mean, I've had this kind of debate with philosophers in the past, but I won't get sidetracked. 
Well, uh, um, I don't want to go too far and, and bring you yeah. into like too, too deep water, but I, that was my next question about like the problem of other minds and the testability of consciousness and maybe even whether, maybe I'm throwing too much at you, but, but maybe even whether, you know, philosophical zombies are, are possible. So like, um, that's what that getting back to the question of whether this, uh, gives us evidence to evidence to believe robots, uh, or, or AIs are conscious or not, or whether it gives us like proof or knowledge that, that they are conscious. Do we still run into the problem of other minds here? Um, can, yeah. can we, can we, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Can we get I mean, past it with this? Yeah. Separate them out, right. I mean, yeah, yeah you're always going to have that with okay. any other conscious being. Yeah. Um, I'm not worrying about that okay. in this context. And I do think that there's a reason that I personally don't worry about it as much as I do machine consciousness. Uh-huh. And that, that has to do with the sort of inference to the best explanation yeah. for why other beings are conscious. I mean, they have, you know, physiology like ours, they behave like ours and so on. That, but I think the problem of other minds is harder with respect to machines because they don't have a similar neurophysiology. And so yeah. it connects up with the issue, right? But I don't think it's exactly the same issue. Yeah, yeah. And I like the the inference of the best explanation. You can go in for natural kinds or, you know, I'm recognizing you as a human. Um, what what about... Um... What about what about like an isomorph of of the human brain, but just um, I don't know, maybe not made of of carbon, but still all the same functional roles. Um, I guess that's not a natural kind, then, right? Then we still have the problem of of AI consciousness, even with isomorphs. So I talk about isomorphs in the book. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting to think about. Yeah. I think that it is conceptually possible that an isomorph could exist and have an artificial brain Mm -hmm. with components that are replaced in one of these like neural replacement scenarios. Yeah. And that it would be a conscious being. Okay. Okay. I think that's possible. Yeah. Conceptually possible. Now, I don't know if it's nomologically possible. Okay. So Mm. that's one thing. Um, but I think you're also, you might also be asking about zombies, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think zombies are conceptually possible, Okay. but you gotta, I mean, it's kind of tricky actually. Maybe let me take a step back Sure, sure. on how you frame the issue. So maybe more careful. Um, I think you have to ask what property natures are. Uh-huh. in order to really figure this one out. Um, okay. I think what's happening with people who think zombies are possible is that they're often taking an approach to property natures in which properties are categorial. And so you can hmm. set up a thought experiment in which the same kind of categorial properties or categorical properties, however you want to say it, okay. are instantiated by a molecule for molecule duplicate and consciousness is missing. Right. Right. Um, I'm not so sure I'm on board with all of that. Um, 
I mean, it's a tough debate, actually, like property natures, right? Yeah. Um, But I'm not, I'm not willing to assume categoricity. Um, In fact, I I kind of was sympathetic when I slept through that literature uh, (laughs) to a two-sided view. Yeah. um, Yeah. So I think that that can kind of alter whether you think it is even nomologically possible to have zombies. Um, And here I'm thinking there was an interesting paper by uh, John Heil and C.B. Martin on this topic. Okay. Um, past, which I would refer your listeners to. Yeah. But, you know, I, I haven't talked about this in years. Yeah. So. Yeah. Sorry. I'm g- going down rabbit trails. Oh, but- no, no. I love metaphysics. Um, yeah. But in the book, yeah. yeah, I'm thinking a lot about um, the conceptual possibility of artificial consciousness. Yeah. And I did say that I totally agree with like Chalmers replacement scenarios, the neural okay. replacement scenario. Yeah. Uh, you know, in his, um, his early book on consciousness where he's talking about fading qualia and all of that. I think that's a coherent thought experiment, mm-hmm. but what I'm interested in, in, in most of the discussion of the book is the nomological and technological feasibility, nomological possibility, technological feasibility of conscious machines, because I think there, there's a special ethical interest in figuring this out. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Well, so uh, um, all that just to, to set up uh, the next question about what the mind is um, and whether, you know, whether you go in for like emergent properties, is, is the mind an emergent thing? Do you, do you have a particular theory of mind? Hmm. Great question. Whew. Boy, that's a toughie. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is bringing me back to the book that I've owed Oxford for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm supposed to write a book on this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess I, you know, there are a couple of different approaches to mind that are out there. If you look at the mind as a substance, yeah. for example, that have been very influential, mm-hmm. um, you know, mind as bundle of yeah say universals or tropes. And then there's this sort of substratum position. So that's one approach. You could just take mind as a reductive category, right? right? Mm -hmm. And analyze it, uh, you know, as one would in the metaphysics literature. Um, Okay, so that I'm not I'm fine with that approach. Okay, right. One of those approaches. I mean, but I mean, there's also a kind of question about consciousness here. Yeah. Right. I mean, so I think that um, when it comes to what kind of matter makes up the mind, whether it's whether the mind is entirely physical, I actually am what I call um, I think I called it micromonism in okay. a paper I wrote uh, for a volume uh, edited by my, my former student, Kenny Peirce, uh, for Oxford University Press. And oh, I wrote awesome. a paper called Idealism or Something Near Enough. I'm not an idealist, but I just, the book was on idealism. I was trying to be topical. Nice. Me. And you went with the uh, Jaguan Kim or Something Near Enough. Oh, yeah. Right? I'm a big that's, fan of Jaguans. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. He's great. He's yeah. great. 
So, but, but the, okay, so it, the view is the fundamental constituents of reality are, they're, they're not minds, uh, they're not experiential, but they're proto-minded and proto-experiential. Yeah. Like a so, proto-panpsychist type view? It's not quite though. Okay. But um, it's very close. I think, um, you know, and I think that the same entities that science quantifies over the, yeah. the kind of sad, th those entities that are really actually uh, the truth makers for the fundamental physical laws nice. are actually the entities I'm talking about as rising the mind. Okay. And I really should finish this book. I might slip some of this into a book I'm writing right now. That'd be awesome. Is that, yeah, is that many books right now? Is the structure then important for those? Um, I forgot what you call it, but like micro physical particles. Uh, is it, is it the structure that gives rise? Um, does the yeah. mind give exactly. rise to it? Okay. Right. Right. And so okay. I don't think there's any special emergence going on here. I mean, remember when, okay. you know, I think it was John Searle who um, said there's boring emergence, this sort of, instantial you know water type emergence right, transparency right. and then there's this magical mis mystical stuff that you know where jaguan was talking about downward causation and i i haven't found a need for the more exciting kind of emergence although everything's a mess and everything's weird in physics right now okay yeah yeah that is what's going on i mean until yeah. we understand um you know fundamental reality we'd better be careful I right. mean, fundamental physical reality is probably quite weird. Yeah. Way weirder than we think. And, and how do we define physical and, yeah, all sorts of crazy Yeah. I mean, the physical thing can't – it can't be um, actual physics, which is contradictory. Um, it's got to be future physics. But then the problem with that is what if future physics starts talking the fundamental minds talk? I know. Right, right, yeah, right. You have to be really careful mm -hmm. in framing these kinds of issues – yeah, but I think physics does talk about um, proto mentalistic entities. Yeah, yeah, and so so then the structure gives rise, um, but maybe in the in the weak case of emergence, um, maybe that's like Tim O'Connor's. Oh, he might go in for special. Um, but mm -hmm. is is the do you think the mind is the mind a program? Um, no, not, okay, no, cool. and that's I mean sometimes it's helpful just to rule out different views and yeah. maybe that helps one arrive at the right view, assuming yeah. you've got or you closer know, to it. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. Well, assuming you have included the right view in it could be something totally crazy that no one knows yet. Yeah. But um, no, I, I don't think so at all. Um, okay. I think the brain can be described computationally, but in the final chapter of mm -hmm. Artificial You, I argue the mind is actually not a program. Yeah. Um, and I think actually, Parker, I noticed in your podcast that you were doing some stuff in philosophy of mathematics. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, you know, I'm into that too. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think the thing that bothers me about this program talk is somewhat simple. A program's an abstract entity. Right. Right. I mean, it's not a program's different from a program instantiation. Similarly, yep. when we're asking about the nature of the mind, we really it's kind of 
a category mistake. Now, maybe yeah. we should be making it, but to be claiming that the mind is a program is to be asking whether the mind is a, a sort of abstract entity. And I think the people talking about the issue and making the assertions are not noticing that. They're not intending to do it. They're not asking about, say, abstracta. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what they're... What they should be doing yeah. <laughs> is asking whether the mind is something like an instantiation of a program. Yeah. But so the mind's not a program, I think, yeah. you know, for reasons have to do with the debate moving in the wrong direction. I think we should be, you know, but I'm fine asking whether the mind is a program instantiation. Right. Yeah. But then notice how empty claims are about the mind as program instantiation it does not solve the mind body problem because right. what is the thing that is the instantiation i mean that's like re-asking the same question right. what is a mind right and there you can fill in your favorite view which mm -hmm. shows how empty the claim that the mind is a program instantiation is so you know it's funny because we all thought we were being informative like back in the day when i was like working with jerry Fodor and writing my language of thought new philosophical direction view yeah book that is um you know i i just assumed the mind was a program it was like a slogan in fact ned block had this um great paper you know saying the mind is the software of the brain i think that was the title yeah you know but i think that's actually wrong mm -hmm. that kind of view um and i think what was really going on in those older debates was more we were excited about um, the brain as a computational engine. Yeah. And, you know, we were kind of merging together mind talk with brain talk, which should not be done. I do it all the time, I'm sure. But I mean, I think we have to be really careful there. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, I, I love that part in the book. Um, and it was echoing something else we read. Um, the, the class was uh, Brent, Brendan Rickabaugh's class. Uh, it's the philosophy of technology. So if anyone listening wants to go to PBA, check that out. But uh, it was, it was, you're mirroring a lot of, uh, some points made by Eric Olson about, you know, what just what would a artificial thinker be? He wrote a whole paper on this and it, it didn't get a lot of play, uh, but I had him on the podcast talk about it. And he just goes through a lot of the same stuff that that uh, you talk about, where it's like, is it an abstract object? Because that's crazy. Then, like, as soon as the computation is done, now you have this mind, but it's an abstract thing and abstract supposed to not have causal efficacy or anything and so we think our minds do and there's all these different reasons so i, I loved that you were getting in on that and it showed why um you know i might make some of the sciencey folks mad but that's why you need a, a philosopher you know at the helm uh, of the the center for the new mind like that's why we need philosophers to be asking these kind of questions and say look i i see the results that you're making here but what are you saying is the actual conscious thing and here's why it can't be that so I, I just, I love philosophers. So I want to post them, uh, well, post it, on them any chance I get. It, it is good when philosophers get involved. I'll plug for that. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely. I, I like, I, I've enjoyed reading Eric's books and interacting with him. We know each other. We've talked, awesome. we've had these conversations. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I think it is, it is a good thing um, yeah. for us not to just be in the ivory tower. Yeah. Because, you know, all around us, <laughs> just read the news, <laughs> um, you know, there's complete misunderstandings of issues involving the nature of the mind. Right. And they do have 
consequences for the world, right? I, I tell my students, metaphysics can be a matter of life and death when we're talking about cases like brain uploading, for example, yeah. or even machine sentience. Yeah, or Alcor, right? right? Like the freezing your brain to survive later. Yeah, yeah so Alcor, I, I, I don't know what the late, where they are with their technology for cryogenics. I've thought sure. about signing up. I don't have a problem in principle with that. Right. But, but right. that's a question, right? That's the question to ask before you sign up is, am I going to survive and what am I? And those kind of. No, so there's, there's this interesting thing going on with um, cryogenics, mm-hmm. which it used to be just freeze it, revive it later. Yeah. You know, that's just a scientific question whether, sure. you know, I mean, you might ask, I mean, you might like akin to the issues that, you may ask me for surgery when you're a philosopher. <laughs> Been there. It's like, oh my God, I'm going to have anesthesia and I read personal identity papers. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, setting that kind of thing aside, I mm-hmm. mean, that's not the same thing as brain uploading, which really rests, I think, on a metaphysical mistake. But then mm. what started to happen is mm. the, the, a couple years ago, the New York Times was doing this piece on uh, Alcor and cryogenic freezing. And I think I talk about this case in my book of Kim Sozi, yep, who yep. God, was so sad. She she died of a brain tumor. She was young. She was really mm-hmm. young, like, yeah. you know, just graduated from college. And she, being a neuroscientist, decided to freeze her brain. But when they froze it, she had had a lot of bleeding due to the, you know, what happened to her. And so they say that the only way they can revive her is by uploading the contents of the brain to a computer and then sort of fixing it algorithmically. Okay. And so that means to the extent that that individual is supposed to revive, it's through an uploading maneuver. And I actually am really worried about that because I don't, think it's the same philosophically as reviving someone who was cryogenically frozen. When you talk the uploading talk, what you're talking about is this mistaken view that the mind is something like a program. Yeah. And that as long as you have some kind of instantiation of the same program, the same individual survives. And of course, philosophers know the difference between types and tokens. Right. Right. Different token of the same type. That's what's happening. And so, it's not you. Yeah, that, that's not your. That's not the same type as you. Yeah, the uh, media just forget it. They're absolutely obsessed because if Stephen Hawking said that you can upload, or Michio Keiku said you can upload. Yeah. Never mind these philosophers. Yeah, and I I think the way that that would work is if something like substance dualism was true and you had this soul and you could upload the soul but that wouldn't be the necessarily the pattern of your you know uh thought you wouldn't be like your thought pattern or whatever uh if if algorithm is algorithmism is true it's not just the algorithm because then you get into the type the type token problem but it's well, like yeah if, if, soul, who knows what happens i mean right, maybe right. Says, ah, don't worry about the type token thing you can your soul's gonna hop See that see, a different yeah. instantiation. Yeah. I mean, Uploading like, would make sense on that. Right. I mean, your yeah. soul, <laughs> this is crude, but you know, your soul's hopping to a different token of this yeah. 
um, in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, there I just say, like, ask your religious advisor. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or, yeah. or, or, you know, maybe some philosopher of religion, you know, like Peter von Inwagen has something to say about it. I don't know. Yeah. But I don't have anything to say about it right. because, you know, I'm not ready to appeal to a particular doctrine. Sure. Sure. You know? And and I think that's that's one of the kind of ironic things about the upload is that they they say, you know, we are we are we are a pattern. We are an algorithmic pattern and that's it. So we don't have a soul. So therefore we can upload. And it's like, wait, no, if you had a soul, then you could upload. But you want to reject that view in a view uh, and then go for this like materialist view that you are this algorithmic pattern. But then you you're not the same. Uh, token instance that's that's passing on. So yeah, yeah I just thought that was a, a, a interesting, yeah, an interesting point there. Yeah, but I mean, it's a shame because I think we, as a culture, really need to have deep discussions about the mind. Yeah, and totally. Beyond crude appeals to mind as program uploading, uh, but it's hard because philosophy is difficult. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you that's know, right. but people need to to really think about this stuff. Um, which is why I, I opened that center for the future mind to, yeah. you know, if I could just move beyond the administrative stuff and get more done, that would be great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so that's that's actually part of the, the thing I'm trying to do with the podcast is have deep conversations uh, on hard stuff that you might have to listen to the episode three or four times to understand. It's a little bit of inside baseball. It's like a it's like an office hours instead of just a strict interview. But people can hear the deep stuff and they can read your they should go read your book, Artificial You, and then come back and listen to this again. Um, what if someone was intrigued by you and you, the way you do philosophy um, and they wanted to participate in in the Future Mind uh, Center, Center for the Future Mind? What's that like? Like, are, are do, do people apply or is this postdoc stuff or? Yeah. Yeah, we have postdocs. Okay. Um, and I sometimes put out a call. We just hired some new tenure track faculty as well. Cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm real excited. Awesome. We, we got some cool junior faculty now. I wanted to hire everybody. Yeah. That was torture. Yeah. Um, you know, there are so many interesting people. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Um, but we're trying to start a PhD program right now. You can apply, uh, to, we have a super, super good PhD group in complex systems and brain sciences, a program started by uh, Scott Kelso, Gary Perry, and others. So we have, it's like, you know, the kind of thinking I really love, like what you see at the Santa Fe Institute about complex systems. And you look, you can, you can do analyses of say the connectome and understand the mathematical principles that the brain utilizes and find that other complex systems also instantiate those principles of information transfer. So for me, these grad students are phenomenal and you can apply into that program. I think now though, you have to apply through computational neuroscience. So my center is full of grad students in that. I have some great collaborators. And then if you want to do philosophy, you have to go in comparative studies, which we're designing a track right now. And it's going to be minds, machines, and persons track. And then, we have to apply to the state of Florida to start a PhD program. Okay. That sounds it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. We need a few more faculty. I mean, everybody retired when I got there. What did I do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was one of those big packages and a whole bunch of people took it. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
Well, yeah, it'd be nice to have a, a fresh start, even even if it's tough. And I'm sure you have a ton of admin work. Um, oh, it's uh, doc- awful. I got lured in by the beach. I wanted warm weather. I That's wanted right. to live in Boca Raton. I, I like literally live on the ocean. Wow. So, Did yeah. you get to see it or are you stuck in the office doing doing all the admin stuff? I'm out all the time. I, I you know, my yeah. teaching load is. That's yeah, awesome. no, I, I'm on the beach all day. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, no, um, it's great. Well, Dr. Snyder, uh, thanks, thanks so much for all your time here. I wanted to, to finish with uh, just one more question. Um, do you think we should be, do you think we should be more worried about uh, dumb AI or artificial general intelligence? Um, if we should, maybe we shouldn't be worried at all, but yeah. No, you should be worried about both. Okay. Um, but I think that, there's a category that people don't notice, uh, which I call savant systems that are probably the most worrisome. So we're right now, we, pro- we may have a Turing test winner with some of these tech systems, okay. these new, you know, these systems. It depends on who the judge is. Yeah. But we're getting really smart systems. And once we start... people start piecing together different kinds of systems into coherent Mm -hmm. systems. We're starting to get into general intelligence. Yeah. And, but as we do that, there will be systems that are not super intelligent and have terrible deficits. And I think those are the most dangerous. And I call those savant systems like these idiot savants in uh, psychology who have superhuman abilities in some domains and massive deficits in others. They, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so you obviously don't want a computer with a social intelligence deficit that is excellent in strategizing yeah. and is advising a president. Right. And of course it depends on where, like what the capacity of the machine is and who's utilizing it. Right. I mean, humans are the real dangerous one. Sure. Yeah. Um, but today's systems can do damage. I mean, look at Facebook algorithms. Sure. Right. I mean, and it's funny because I, I notice this a lot in the media. The experts have these fights over which is worse, right? And they get into these. They're, I'm like, you guys are eating your own, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, there's not a worried budget. It's not like you know getting research funding. Yeah. It's like you can all be worried together. Yeah, yeah. That's good. It's all bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, AI is good in lots of ways, but there's lots of danger and risk, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I go back and forth between being terrified and being super optimistic. Uh but I, I hadn't I hadn't thought about the the savant level. That's a really fascinating thing. I'll have to think more about that. Um Dr. Snyder, this has been this has been really huge. If someone so one again, I'll hawk this book because it's an amazing book. Artificial You, AI and the Future of Your Mind. Uh, it's a couple years old now. Very, very good. Um, go and grab that book. But if someone wanted to hear more from you or read some of your stuff, uh, where, where could they find you? Uh, they could go to my website. I have a lot of freebies there. Awesome. Uh, SchneiderWebsite.com. Okay. And if they want to join the center, they can uh, get in touch with us and get on the mailing list. Uh, we have virtual events. 
or if you're in the Florida area or yeah. come to where, you know, soon we'll be starting conferences. We just opened. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm planning a mind fest in oh. February. I hope. Yeah. Oh, you should come. You that should would come. be fantastic. Yeah, I got yeah. I got to start doing that. I just turned in grant applications. That was okay. torture. Yeah. Human torture. <laughs> That's where yeah. you need the AI for that. Yeah, you need a savant for doing that. Yeah. <laughs> can you imagine like GPT-3 doing it? Yeah. I know. Because GPT-3 can write um, can write a B paper. Whoa. Okay. In, in what field, I guess? Well, do you remember that... Um, for a while, you could get the philosopher's version of GPT three, and I think they took it off the web. Oh wow! Okay, yeah that that's yeah. one thing. I that's one thing I forgot to ask you. I was I was nervous about with your uh, act test. You like we might be training these people, uh, or we might be training these AIs to be better philosophers than some of the philosophers, and putting people out of the out of their jobs. They might make the act two test that's even better than yours. Scary. Oh, I'm, I'm just go. starting. I'm a, I'm a master's, you know, still. I need to yeah. get a job before I lose them I know, all. right? I mean, don't even get me started. No. I mean, it may be that we have to, you know, enhance our brains in order to keep up. Right. That's the and Jetson fallacy, we, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we shouldn't assume the future is like Star Wars or the Jetsons where the, the uh, humanoids are unenhanced, right? right? I mean, they right. will probably be highly enhanced. Um, and that's the worry though, because if we move into this future, letting the tech companies decide with their, you know, shallow conceptions of the mind, yeah, where are we headed, right? Yeah. I mean, we're headed to, speaking of science fiction, you know, cyberpunk dystopia, quite possibly. <laughs> in which- and Not the cool ones, are, yeah. Yeah, not the cool ones, right? Yeah. I mean, we knew- you know this is coming when Zuckerberg renames his company Meta. I know. Vincent's I know. Metaverse, and that's a dystopia, yeah, right? It's right. like he thought it was great. Oh my <laughs> god! <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, it's yeah, no, is, yeah, I try not to worry too much. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, um, th thanks again, Dr. Schneider, for all your time. Uh, it's very valuable, and I'm very excited about what you're doing. Uh, I hope to be in, in contact and, and check some of that stuff out. And, and yeah, hopefully all the, the funding comes through, and I'll, I'll post it out on my stuff, too, and get the word out for all the, uh, the mind dorks out there that uh, this is a new thing. This is awesome. It's fantastic. Well, thank you for having me, and I yeah. look forward to listening to more of your podcasts. Definitely. That'd be awesome. Okay. All right, folks, that's going to have to do it for now. This has been Parker's Pensies, and as always, all glory to God.